has it has anyone here believed believed to have seen a ghost? Nope. Nope. Have I, you? Uh, well, I'm pretty sure I was just like really drunk. But uh <laughs> so last night <laughs> travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the laughter. <laughs> the heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. <laughs> because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. At 1.40 p.m. at the main branch of the New York Public Library on 5th Avenue, 10 people witnessed a free-floating, full-torso vaporous apparition. It blew books off shelves from 20 feet away and scared the socks off some poor librarian. I'm very excited. I'm very pleased. I want you to get right down there, check it out, and get back to me. No, no, get right back. No, Peter, you're coming with us on this one. Do you have any hobbies? I collect spores, molds, and fungus. Hello, Ghostbusters. Yes, of course they're serious. You do? You have? No kidding. Uh-huh. Well, just, uh, just give me the address. We got Hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears, and today we finally get around to honoring the comedy 80s milestone that was Ghostbusters. <coughs> Sir, what you had there was what we refer to as a focused, non-terminal repeating phantasm, or a class 5 full-roaming vapor. Real nasty one, too. With me, as always, he's the Egon Spengler to my Raymond stands. It's Brad in L.A. Steve, there's something very important I forgot to tell you. Don't cross the streams. Why? It would be bad. Oh, God, I just did, like five minutes ago. Oh, well, you know. I was wondering what that smell was. It wasn't the end of the world. And because it could never be a show on Ghostbusters without a Peter Vinkman or a Lewis Tully, please welcome back. We call him the Keymaster. It's Marty Yu. Hey, I feel like more of a Winston Zedmore myself, but that's just <laughs> my mood today. That's fine. You know what I found right. out about Winston Zedmore today? What's that? Ex-Marine with several PhDs. Whoa. <laughs> Apparently, in the writing of that script, PhDs were just like, you know, like Candy. trading. Just yeah. throw them out, you know, hey. Yeah, so he was the smart one, apparently. Do you believe in UFOs, astral projections, mental telepathy, ESP, clairvoyance, spirit photography, telekinetic movement, full trance mediums, the Loch Ness Monster, and the theory of Atlantis? Uh, if there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you say. So June uh, twenty. 20- 14 marks the 30th anniversary of Ghostbusters, released in the summer of 1984. Um, surely, each of us has a great story to tell about the first time we saw Ghostbusters, right? Yeah, don't call me Shirley. Marty, go ahead. <laughs> wait, wait, why don't we start with you guys, since everybody, well, since you said you've heard yours before. Oh, okay, here's, 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 here's mine in a nutshell. You probably have heard it five times, but uh, I took a date. A girl that I had picked up at McDonald's when I worked there. Ooh. And at some point while waiting in line to see the movie, I must have dropped an F-bomb in casual conversation. Because after that, it was the cold shoulder all night long. And then when I dropped her off at the end of the night, she gave me the dreaded words, Well, if I never see you again, have a nice life. Mother puss bucket. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, uh, no kiss? <laughs> right. So, so to me, there's a certain... You know, uh, taint, stain that, that Ghostbusters has in my life. And uh, I'm, I'm going to try to overcome it today. <laughs> Brad, I know you've told your story, but tell it again. Yeah, so 84, uh, it was a big summer for me. It was the year that uh, I moved to California. So sometime this fall, I will have lived in California for 30 years. 
which is kind of mind-numbing. But uh, that summer I was working at the local movie theater, and we would get, I'm sure I've told this story, we would get the uh, prints in for stuff that opened on Friday. On Thursday night, we'd go down to the Greyhound station and pick up the film. That's how they ship stuff around. That's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy, but it, it was cheap. I mean, the film can't, film's heavy. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you need some way to move it around that isn't going to cost you an arm and a leg. And at yes. that time, Greyhound buses pretty much covered the entire United States. So I don't know if that's true anymore. You know, that Thursday night, the projectionist built up the film onto a reel for us, and we watched so it around midnight. It's, yeah. it's like they take five reels and they put it, stitch them all together into one. Yeah, I, you know, we can get into the weeds here, but in the old days, they would run two projectors and switch them back and forth. But then at some point, they, they designed this platter system where you could put the whole film together into one big string and run it from one platter to another without having to rewind it. It was right. a lot, took a lot less work. And th- that kind of gave rise to the multiplex because you didn't have to have a projectionist flipping the switches on a pair of projectors every 20 minutes or so. Right. Anyway, that aside. <laughs> so, What's film? Come, come back to Projector Talk with Brad <laughs> next week. Um, <laughs> So I remember very distinctly watching this in the theater, the the big theater that we had with my you know fifteen or so coworkers, and uh, just loving it. I had I had not seen any ads for it. I had no idea. Any, I knew nothing about it except the poster and the the you know the ghost with the circle with the line through it. That's all I knew about it, and it just blew me away. The summer of '84. Well, I was a uh, a competitive fencer in my younger days, and uh, I grew up in suburban. Northern California. That summer was we had the nationals, and so I flew out. Basically, just I think my sisters were there because they were also competing, and we were in Chicago, at the like around the University of Chicago. I think it was. That was probably one of my first times like away from home without my parents, and uh, I had never been to a like a big city. And we're like South Chicago is not the same as Ferris Bueller Chicago. It's, it's, uh, and I, you know, a little grittier, a, a little grittier. And I had the secluded life, like where I just didn't, I didn't even have any racial stereotypes in my mind. But this is like a predominantly black neighborhood we were in, and we were, went to see Ghostbusters, my sisters and I, and like just people were just talking through the whole thing, and I wasn't, you know, it wasn't annoying to me. It was just amazing, like people like are just yelling at the screen and like every time a ghost comes up and just it was uh it was an eye-opening experience for me it was my introduction to uh to being in a big city and and it was great i mean it actually made the experience so much more entertaining and like a, a true like sort of uh like cinema experience as yeah. opposed to you know more watching something on yeah. yeah i mean we had a betamax back then so you know it was a, a big difference between Watching the Betamax in the living room and, and being in a in a gritty <laughs> Southside uh, movie theater, but uh, yeah, it was great. And that summer, you know, that that same trip that I went to like a Greek restaurant in Chicago, and they just served me wine without even asking me, and it was you know for a fifteen year old that was really exciting. You're living the dream, brother. <laughs> I was. I was. You know, I was the country the country mouse in the big city. It was awesome. <laughs> My favorite part of that story was finding out that you had a Betamax. Yeah, <laughs> I think my parents still have it. It wouldn't shock me. Yeah, Jeez. and they got big buildings in Chicago. Yeah, just bigger than our grain silos back home. <laughs> I reckon. I reckon. So let's talk about the um, the genesis of Ghostbusters for a minute. I mean, I don't think there's any reason to recount the plot. Anybody who's listened to this podcast probably has seen this movie a dozen times at least. And it it is streaming on Netflix if you just want to catch up before you uh, continue with this podcast. Yeah, but just hit pause now. We'll wait. Yeah. We'll be here when you get back mm-hmm. with Projector Talk. <laughs> we'll just get talk about Betamax for the next two hours. Well, I, I could talk I about say, tape formats, too, if you like. You know, that's a consumer version of the commercial Beta SP that was developed by Sony. I'm not really even kidding about the Betamax part. <laughs> I mean, I, I distinctly remember my parents being in a video store, like, in the early 80s. And right then, you know, VHS and Betamax were head to head. And the guy was literally trying to give the pitch for each one of them. And we were like squarely on the fence, not knowing which way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't remember what finally, I think it finally boiled down to, well, you know, we have a hundred VHS tapes you could rent from us and we have 75 Betamax ones. And we're like, that's the difference. (laughs) 
funny. Yeah, and I remember when we first started renting videos, it was at the appliance store. There was no video store back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, that's where we did it, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's wow. crazy. Real Wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Enough, I get the point. So in 1982, uh, producers Ivan Reitman uh, and, and his team were planning to make a film of the science fiction novel uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by uh, Douglas Adams. We, have we all read that? Absolutely. Yeah, yes, years and years ago. Required reading. Yeah. And, I made my uh, son read it recently. <laughs> did it did it hold up for him? Or was he uh, like, are you serious? He read the first like I don't think he got through more than the first couple. It, it the the first one is the the first of the books is the best. It starts to fall off a little bit, but he mm. enjoyed the first couple. Yeah. And and the idea was uh for Ivan Reitman was that he was going to um cast either Bill Murray or Dan Aykroyd to play the character of uh, Ford Prefect. But uh, while they waited for Douglas Adams to like uh, write his three drafts of the movie, uh, Aykroyd uh, got in touch with Ivan and sent him this idea for a movie that he called Ghost Smashers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the original premise of the movie was that it would have three main characters played by John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, and Eddie Murphy, and that they would fight ghosts in SWAT uniforms and use wands instead of guns. It took place in the future. Right? Ah, uh, no. I think it took place in the yeah. Present. I thought it was in the future, and oh, it was maybe. like a it was like right. a um, it's like a utility service. Like oh, they God. were exterminators, you know. And there were lots of teams of ghost smashers that you could call. <laughs> and, and instead, what we get in return from Eddie Murphy years later is uh, Pluto Nash. Oh, uh, you so, know. John Candy was supposed to play the character of Lewis Tully, and uh, everything was set to go. And then suddenly, John Belushi dies. And people begin backing out. The script's rewritten. Uh, new new actors are looked at, and um, we are now set to proceed on this milestone franchise with no cast, no script, and no idea what's going on. <laughs> Get her. That was your whole plan. Get her. We're scientific. I, I just got overexcited. But, but wasn't it incredible, Pete? I mean, we actually touched the etheric plane. You know what this could mean to the university? Yeah, it's going to be bigger than a microchip. Ray, I'm very excited. I wouldn't say the experience was completely wasted. According to these new readings, I think we have an excellent chance of actually catching a ghost and holding it indefinitely. Well, well this is great. If the ionization rate is constant for all ectoplasmic entities, we could really bust some heads. Didn't Ramus and Aykroyd then go to, like, Martha's Vineyard or someplace for a month and, and work out the script, rewrite the whole thing? I hope so. I mean, because I think that, uh, you know, Harold Ramis is, the, I think, the, the really funny part of that. Uh, I think that, you know, from what I understand, Aykroyd wrote that um, basically as uh, sort of a serious, well, not serious, but a, a comedy that was based on his things that he believes in. Like, he believes in ghosts. Oh, he yeah. still does. It, it's yeah. in his family. Yeah, yeah, his grandfather was, uh, you know, tried to contact the dead with a... Uh, using telephone or radio technology or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting because if you think about it, you know, you think about the movie uh, Neighbors with uh, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd, and you, th- and you say, wow, you know, the character of John Belushi would have been an interesting pick for this movie. Yeah, so Belushi would have been the Venkman character? Yeah. Yeah, that, I, I'm, I have a hard time picturing that. It is such a Bill Murray role, and I know that that's a lot of that is probably uh, Harold Ramis's writing because he just he seemed to have that voice for. Uh, well, keep in mind though, Bill Murray ad what's his name? <laughs> Bill Murray. <laughs> Bill Murray ad libbed most of his lines, so yeah, I mean, that's he, true. He that's wasn't true. really. But he, I imagine that Ivan Reitman or or Harold Ramis sort of anticipated that Bill Murray was going to come up with with that sort of stuff just because they worked. You know, closely together at Second City and and Stripes, and Stripes, right? Yeah, I just feel like you know, you're right, Steve. I know that he is supposed he is supposed to have done a lot of that kind of off the cuff, but it also sounds like it was pretty collaborative. If you listen to the uh, to the commentary track on the DVD, which is fantastic, I don't usually go through those, but that's one I've actually listened to a couple times. They talk about how you know Ivan Reitman's talking about how they would work out amongst themselves like what's the best joke here. And, and then they would kind it. of figure out who to give the joke to. Oh, that's nice. You know, so it sounds like it was pretty collaborative. But I do think that 
you know, Harold Ramis seemed to create an environment where, where Bill Murray could be his, the best Bill Murray we ever have seen. Everything was fine with our system until the power grid was shut off by Dickless here. They caused an explosion. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. So what happened to Eddie Murphy? Why did, why did he fall? Well, out? he had a choice between this one. I think he got cold feet after Belushi died. But he also got an opportunity to make another movie uh, that he could star in. That also came out in 1984. Can anyone of us name what that movie might have been? Uh, 84. That's not Beverly Hills Cop. It's it? Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, nice. Which would, uh, it actually beat Ghostbusters to become one of the year's highest grossing films. So he, he did all right. Yeah, yeah, that was not a bad call. Yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. yeah. And it's nice to see Ernie place. Hudson getting some work, you know. Yeah. Um, so other people that were involved, Michael Keaton turned down both the roles of Vinkman and Spengler. Christopher Walken, John Lithgow, Christopher Lloyd, Jeff Goldblum, all considered for the role of Dr. Spengler. I'm kind of loving the idea of Christopher Walken as Egon. He would have been great. <laughs> it would have been fantastic. Uh, and wasn't Chevy Chase asked for To Vinkman? Uh, Vinkman, yeah, yeah. So it turns out Bill Murray took on the role, but only with – he had a condition, of course. And that's that uh, Columbia Pictures finance a remake of a movie for him that he could star in. That movie was also 1984. Does anybody remember what that movie was? I guarantee you it's not as memorable as Beverly Hills Cop. I, I, know that there, I know this happened, but I don't remember what the movie is. Was it Razor's Edge? It's Razor's Edge, yeah. Which I actually are, like. I, you know, I haven't seen it. It's a remake, right? Of it's a, a remake of the 1946 one with Tyler Powers. Yeah. It's not bad. It's it's great. It's based on the novel of Somerset Maugham and it's 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 great. It's a fantastic sort of lost generation hmm. story. It kind of Yeah, it was it was a non-contender at the box office. I mean, well, I think that well, they, Bill Murray they, was trying to do something serious, right? Yeah. Right. But it was worth the studio's money, you know, cuz they they made plenty off of it. Sure. Uh, it's a good deal. It's a good deal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Harold Ramis eventually just took on the role of Egon. Like he he decided to to jump in there, right? Yeah, yeah. Like that was that's amazing casting. He's so funny in that. He, like, yeah, he's perfect. Smallest yeah. little things that he does are just great. Well, and one of the things he says in the commentary track at one point he points out he's like, "That's the closest I get to a smile in this movie." Like, <laughs> I decided I was never going to smile in this movie. I kind of feel like Dan Aykroyd is the least funny in the movie. Oh yeah, like because yeah. he's just he's like providing all the exposition, explaining. Yeah, he's all the all earnestness. The- Gozer the Gozerian. Good evening. As a duly designated representative of the city, county, and state of New York, I order you to cease any and all supernatural activity and return forthwith to your place of origin or to the nearest convenient parallel dimension. That ought to do it. Thanks very much, Ray. And just that weird scene when he has the dream about being seduced by a ghost and then he goes <laughs> cross-eyed. I'm just like, really? That That's... That worked back then? It worked in Spies Like Us. I guess that was part of a longer scene that got cut. Thankfully. Yeah, shocking. Jeez. There's a lot of scenes, I understand, that were filmed for this that got cut. There are some very funny deleted scenes on the, on the uh, DVD. What, what, uh, what edition of the DVD do you have? Because I, I have like El Cheapo edition in the other room. It, it has like a title screen, and that's about it. You know, it's really funny um, you know, that you mentioned that. When I got a DVD player, my first DVD player, I don't remember when that was, one of my friends is like, oh, you have to get Ghostbusters. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's a great movie. And they're like, no, it's a great DVD. They did some nice stuff with the menus. And I'm like, really? menus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's just the original DVD release. It's not anything special, but it has all this extra stuff on it. You, there was once a time when I, I would literally, you know, painstakingly research what version of a DVD to buy of a movie. And I would sit there and compare all the special features and stuff like that. Like, oh, you're just grabbing it at the Target checkout. Yeah, right? now I'm not. If I, I don't even buy them anymore. And then when I do, it's just like, I don't care. Just give me the cheapest possible version. In fact, I'll buy them off of half.com for like two bucks. Yeah. And I don't, I don't care anymore. But once upon a time, like, audio commentary and that kind of stuff meant everything to me. And now it's just, I don't, I don't have the time for it. Or yeah. either that, it's, it's grown stale. Yeah. So uh, John Candy also was on board. He quit uh, the role of uh, Louis Tully because um, he wanted to portray the character as like a German. Nobody thought that his German accent was all that funny. And yeah. uh, so he quit, but uh, Rick Moranis stepped I mean, in. Rick Moranis is so good in that role. It might be his it's... best movie role. Oh, Dan, it's you. Oh, hi, 
yes, Lewis, it's me. I thought it was a drugstore. Oh, are you sick? Oh, no, no, I'm fine. I feel great. Just ordered some more vitamins and stuff. I was just exercising. I taped 20-minute workout on my machine and played it back at high speed, so it only took 10 minutes. I got a great workout. I love Rick Moranis, but it, it, it's a pretty hammy role. I mean, he's great in it, but it is Well, like, yeah, he does a lot with it. You're right. Yeah, he's chewing the scenery, but uh, it, it works. Cause, and, yeah, and, and again, all of his well, lines, if, for the most part, are improv. another 10 minutes in the film, it'd be too much. But Well, we'll get to Ghostbusters, too. <laughs> well, not quite. You know what was weird is seeing all the people smoking. Like, there's so much smoking in that movie. And it's weird nowadays because they don't. You know, there's, there's a conscious effort not to portray smoking in, in yeah. movies. They, they actually talk about that in the commentary track. The director's like, yeah, it was okay. Everyone smoked then. But then for Ghostbusters 2, nobody smokes. Hey, <laughs> M- Marty, you know this because you're in the business. Um, is there a fee that you have to pay or a fine you have to pay if you have too much smoking in a movie nowadays? Uh, no. I, there is a, I think the MPA has a, a, the Motion Picture Association or Academy or whatever it is. They have a, um, a mandate to... to not portray smoking, um, and I don't know if it has to do with the if it affects your rating. Uh, but yeah, I bet that's that. I bet that's what they do. Yeah, I know. I remember when the new Bond movies came out, and Daniel Craig was in the role, and he was smoking like a chimney, and people were making a big stink of it at the time. Yeah, they have uh, the MPA has rules regarding smoking. I know when I saw that first Daniel Craig 007, I immediately went out and got a carton of smokes. <laughs> I mean, there are rules though these days about. Uh, you know, having diversity in casts and using, you know, words that could be deemed homophobic. I mean, those things will get you fined, right? Uh, I, I think I it just it. affects, yeah, I think yeah, it I just think it, affects your rating. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, because if you get a rated R, an R rating, that, that reduces your, the amount of money that you can make because you're limiting, you know, the kids from coming to the, see the movie. Yeah. So that's well, the biggest restricting factor. Well, this one was a was rated a, a sound and safe uh, PG, making it a family friendly movie. Have you guys actually watched it with uh, younger people before? I've shown it to my kids. They both thought it was hilarious. It is hilarious. I know <laughs> for good reason. Yeah. So the cast is set and they're ready to start filming. And uh, I think the first three or four weeks they shot in New York, and that basically was it. They didn't do a whole lot of work in New York, but the movie is a New York movie. And the exteriors, specifically. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, and they they did reconstruct some exteriors on the set, like the earthquake scene at the very end. That's not actually in front of Central Park West, if you can believe that or not. I what? know. I know. I know. It's surprising. <laughs> the movie feels like a New York movie. It's interesting. You think back in the eighties, the mid eighties. New York was not what it is today. I mean, you go now to Times Square, and it's the M M&M and M store. And, uh, you know, family-friendly restaurants like Applebee's. In the 80s, Times Square was where you went to go buy drugs and look at naked girls. Right. Uh, so it's interesting. You know, this, the New York that it shows is very friendly. And it's all, I won't say it's a love letter to New York, but it definitely casts the city in a very, as a very positive character in the movie. Why, why wouldn't you film it more in New York? Though? I mean, is, it, is there that much of a savings to do the rest of it back in L.A.? I think it's expensive and it's easy you know you're going to do this stuff on a studio set anyway they don't at the time i don't think there was a lot of studio space in new york city hmm. yeah i think now in brooklyn they're doing a lot of filming in, in studios that's uh, true there. but uh back then you know it's it, it is expensive to control uh, to get control traffic and you know manage extras and so it's much easier to shoot on a sound stage or on a, a film set you know like the street set that they have at yeah. fox where you can you don't have to worry about blocking off traffic or the sound of you know sirens going by or whatever. Yeah. yeah, they said when they were shooting that scene in front of the apartment building at the end when the Ghostbusters come up to go fight Gozer, um, they basically shut down. I mean, that's right at the there's Columbus Circles right there, and like one of the major cross connectors through the park, the Central Park is right there, and they closed all of that stuff for two or three days and. They said that later someone told them, you guys shut down 60% of the traffic in Manhattan those three days. Oh, my God. So, I mean, because they were right at this major crossroads. So that's right. kind of, you know, that's hard to get that kind of permit. Yeah, I also read somewhere that I guess all the scenes were the, uh, the Ectomobile that they were driving around. They mm-hmm. did that mostly without permits. Yeah, there's a scene where in the montage where the you know they're doing all the headlines and stuff, there's a scene where they're running through um, – 
Rockefeller Center and there's somebody chasing them and the person that's chasing them is someone that works for Rockefeller Center because they weren't <laughs> allowed to be filming. <laughs> that's fantastic. I know. Isn't that great? Still making headlines all across the country, the Ghostbusters are at it again. This time at the fashionable dance club, The Rose. The boys in gray slugged it out with a pretty pesky poltergeist, then stayed on to dance the night away with some of the lovely ladies who witnessed the disturbance. This is Casey Kasem. Now on... Well, and also the other reason, I think, to shoot on the stage is because uh, the special effects require a lot of, you know, extra things like earthquakes and things blowing up and catching on fire. Right. You, know, you need stuff. to be able to control that stuff. Speaking of special and, effects, you know, what, what do you guys think of the special effects in this movie? I mean, do they hold up over time, or do they were they cheesy then and still cheesy now? And and do we really care? They, they had the the sort of feel of the the haunted mansion at at Disney. Yeah, there's you know, a lot but, of Pepper's Ghost kind of effect. Yeah, and which I really liked, you know. So I totally went with it. And if you compare it with something like uh, Ghost, the the movie which came out four years later after that, like. The special effects in there are terrible if you look on it now, and it totally takes me out of a, a movie that is otherwise great. Um, and here, I just it, it took me back, and I was it, it was very nostalgic to see all the the ghosts and you know yeah. blowy things. They talk a lot about how uh, in the commentary track how the first one all the stuff was done optically, and you know they have guys with copper pipes blowing air onto the. <laughs> index cards to blow them out of the drawers and stuff and that you know the transition between ghostbusters one and ghostbusters two that by ghostbusters two all that stuff they were doing digitally not actually blowing actual things around right uh but it it looks great when they you know at the that library scene yeah i always um, thought that the little cards flipping out of the drawer i always thought that was kind of like a uh like a little motor that they had going in there, because the way no, they kinda... it sounded like they had pipes little copper tubes that they were blowing oh, air into them geez. and that was blowing them out low tech yeah. yeah. Well, you know, that was a false wall that they had built in the presumably in the basement of the Los Angeles Library where they filmed that. And that's kind of I think why this movie to me is so endearing and why I don't want to see a remake or a sequel is because I, I like the special effects of that era. And I, I don't want to see it remade with today's CGI technology and we kind of lose the campiness. Well, if you wanna if you wanna come off as like the stupidest man alive, you can say, Those ghosts didn't look like real ghosts to me or <laughs> that's that giant marshmallow man was nothing like a giant marshmallow man would look like, come on <laughs> it's fine go with it jeez have I, the ticket take the ride i should ask you at this point in time has it has anyone here believed believed to have seen a ghost nope nope have I, you uh, well i'm pretty sure i was just like really drunk but uh <laughs> so last night yeah. so it could have been any night there was a time in the 80s when I went to Europe for a summer. The last week we were there, we were in um, Germany. And we were staying in Munich, and we were in a very old hotel. My memory is that I wake up in the middle of the night, and there's all sorts of ghosts flying around the room. And then I'm too scared to actually utter a word. But, huh. I mean, looking back on it, I'm pretty sure it was just, well, you know, I, I think a lot of beer drinking and probably nothing I, else. As a child, I had a really vivid uh, vision waking up and like seeing having my room turning into this long uh, sort of uh, stony cavern. And the reason I know that it wasn't an actual ghost is because coming at me were uh, Count Chocula and the Blueberry Ghost. <laughs> and, I, you know, and I just I started screaming at the top of my lungs and my parents came in and and then it sort of melted away. And the reason I know, yeah, so either General Mills is trying to haunt me or... Um, no more sugar just... cereal for you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, so that's as close as I came. I don't think I've ever told that stupid ghost story before. But, I mean, it's vivid in my mind to this day. I still remember being paralyzed and not being able to, like, trying to say something and having it coming out as a squeak. Yeah. And then um, um, somehow it went away. And, and I, it has to be some sort of weird, uh, you know... Sour, sauerkraut something that was the bad same trip dates. yeah bad dates does anybody want to play Parcheesi okay who brought the dog wait Brad when you said that you had no expectations of what to see you just saw the the, uh, the sign with the you know of the yeah, ghost I mean we had the poster it. we had the poster up in the theater lobby I'd never seen a trailer um, but Dan Aykroyd and 
Bill Murray didn't mean anything to you either? Well, I mean, sure. It's on some level, yes. I mean, I knew that they were in it, but I didn't know anything about it. Um, you know, I, I basically being... stuck around to watch the movie because all my friends were going to be there. Oh, yeah. I remember being really excited just because I was such a huge fan of uh, Saturday Night Live and just, you know, the fact that they were now making movies, it was just a great, you know, it was huge excitement. Yeah. Brad, you didn't see the TV commercial that was out? They had a TV commercial uh, that was basically the Ghostbusters commercial that they were playing on. Do you experience feelings of dread in your basement or attic? Have you or any of your family ever seen a spook, specter, or ghost? If the answer is yes, then don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters! Well, you know, Steve, out in the sticks, we can only get the TV three hours a day. And that was if I held the antenna in my teeth. Man, you no. keep pulling that hit card on me. <laughs> I, just, I just didn't see it. I don't know why. I don't have any explanation for it. Huh. Marty, did you see that commercial? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was big. I mean, it was... I mean, everyone thought it was a real commercial. In fact, they had a real telephone number, a 1-800 number. And if you called it, you got a recorded message of Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd basically saying, you know, hey, we're not here right now. We're out catching ghosts. And um, that thing <laughs> uh, went on. That it. thing got 1,000 calls an hour, 24 hours a day for like six straight weeks. That's amazing. That's awesome. That's really smart. That is really smart. In fact, I don't, I'm not surprised they didn't use it more often with other movies going forward. But yeah, so be it. I mean, obviously, obviously... You you have to relate the song Ghostbusters to the movie as well. Did the did the song come out before the movie? Uh, when um, was it released? I don't know. It was. It seems like I remember hearing the song before I saw the movie. And granted, I didn't see the movie like opening day or anything. Let's see here. Ghostbusters was released in May. Yeah, so it was out before the movie. So I probably heard the song. Ah, this is blowing all kinds of holes in my story. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I guess we all know. The sad story of Ray Parker Jr. You know, being sued for plagiarism. Yeah, we've we've joked about that on every occasion we've ever brought yeah. up the song. Yeah. So but today it was we, ubiquitous, like back that summer. Like, oh yeah, go anywhere without hearing it. Yeah. And I guess other people. So Huey Lewis actually turned down an offer to write that song, and so did Lindsey Buckingham, because uh, he'd already done the theme song for Vacation, and he didn't want to. He didn't want to become the next uh, Kenny Loggins of the eighties. You know. Yeah, yeah it's terrible you getting make paid. Millions and millions of dollars. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, so, do you think that it was fair to sue Ray Parker Jr. for that? Like, do you think they had their case was valid? What, what ended up happening? They settled out of court. They settled they? out of court, and it's all like on a you know, no one can talk about it kind of thing. I mean, I. I they no. are so structurally similar. But I mean, yeah. they're. And, they're 80s pop songs. They're all structurally similar. Yeah, but I mean, you could literally lay these things one on top of the other, and the chord progression and the, the meter and everything just lines up. And especially when they asked Huey Lewis to do a, a song and he turned it down. And like, you can just imagine the music supervisor go, approaching Ray Parker Jr. and say, just hey, make this. Want something like this. Make this make sound like a Huey Lewis song. Make it ghosty. Yeah. <laughs> Take some take some San Francisco bar band sound and make it ghosty with, a, <laughs> with about three percent funk in it, so we can play it in the middle America and they'll run it on top forty. Jeez, boy, someone's bitter. I dropped the I dropped the hick word once, and now he's like, it's totally gone dark. You have no idea, Spearsy. The choice is made. Whoa, huh, huh, whoa. The traveler has come. Line is totally blank. I didn't choose anything. I couldn't help it. No, it can't be. What is it? It can't be. What did you do, Ray? Oh shit! It's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. So anyway, Brad sees the movie before the rest of America. I get blackballed from a girl, and uh, Marty almost gets killed in the South Side. Ghostbusters opens up and grosses $13 million its opening weekend and $23 million in its first week. Pretty it's amazing. on a budget of $30 million. Yeah, yeah. It becomes the number one movie in America for five straight weeks, surpassed only eventually, knocked off the throne by anybody? I only want to see you, Spearsy. Standing, standing in the purple in rain. In the purple rain. Yeah. We will not wow. be doing a 30th anniversary uh, podcast on purple rain. <laughs> what? After the Purple Rain debacle, you you got cold feet. Did you ever hear that? 
Marty, by the way? Did oh, I yeah. it wasn't it wasn't feet that got cold. <laughs> God. It's my liver that got cold. But uh you heard the whole two hour commentary? Oh wait, no, not the no, I didn't listen to the commentary. Well, no, did, didn't you do a pod, we did podcast a, on Purple Rain? Yeah, we did we did a Purple Rain podcast like in the first six months of stuck in the eighties. I think it was with Gina. Yeah. And then um maybe about five years ago we did yeah, figures for the twenty fifth anniversary we would have done a podcast on Purple Rain, and we did an audio commentary. It was at the Spears Lair, and it was Sean Daly was there, and Stephanie Hayes, and Vegas girlfriend, and your friend Jack Daniels was there too. Oh my God! And, and his Jim. friends Jim Beam and yeah. and his Donnie. friend Ho- Jose Cuervo and <laughs> and, and and Mr. Jenkins, the Tanqueray yeah, salesman. Yeah, it was bad. I mean, I, I I lost my. By the end of the podcast, it's just me slurring the words of the final songs into the microphone while everyone else is trying to escape. <laughs> so if, if you want a copy of that, give me a call because I have the file. We found oh, it the other day. Great. We found it because um, Robert Jordan, uh, who's compiling a list of all the stories that we ever told on Stuck in the 80s, he, he kept asking, you know, do, do you still have the commentary for Purple Rain? I'm like, I'm not letting that thing out of in the open ever. But I thought, well, you know, what harm will it do? So I sent it to him to listen to, and he was like, yeah, for the first 45 minutes, it's good. And then after that, I sort of had to turn it off. So, <laughs> so we're never – Yeah, it. and this is the guy who's gone back and listened to all the stupid stuff we've said. And That's that you've fantastic. Said, yeah. like, so if said me, over and over. And he draws the line at that one. So there's no way I can – Now I kind of want to listen to it. I've had it saved on my computer for a long time. You never, you never listened to it? You never had listened it. to it. It's, it's not good. It's no. really not good. So, I'm intrigued. There's a reason we don't do audio commentaries anymore. You know, Mr. Tully, you are a most fortunate individual. I know. You have been a participant in the biggest interdimensional cross since the Tunguska Blast of 1909. Felt great. We'd like to get a sample of your brain tissue. Okay. In the end, this, uh, this movie would receive two Academy Awards, uh, one for Best Original Song, which is uh, ironic, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Best Visual Effects. And Austin... Nice. Yeah, didn't win either one, but that's okay. Oh, it was nominated for. Yeah, nominated. Sorry about that. Let's talk for a second about the sequel, Ghostbusters 2. Brad, you just saw this for the first time. Yeah, Steve lectured me. You saw it for the first time? Steve lectured me. He said, you have to watch it before we do the podcast. I have never seen it because for some reason I didn't see it when it first came out. And then I just heard it was terrible. So I'm like, why would I go out of my way to watch this? So. I just watched it for the first time, and here's my description of Ghostbusters 2, if you haven't seen it. So, you know how every episode of, like, Gilligan's Island or Bewitched kind of follows a formula? You know, oh, we're going to get off the island. Oh, Gilligan screws it up. Imagine if they took that to the Ghostbusters 1 plot and just kind of churned out another one. That's Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. The fact it's not. They, it's not awful, but the characters oh, are all it is just uh, awful. And my, my notes it says utter crap. Um, there's. I seriously though get parts of one and two confused from time to time. Like there'll be a good song or a great quote, and I'll think and I, and I will forget which which version it came from. So I you think know, I laughed how, once in that. You oh. know how Annie Potts plays the uh, the secretary. They they changed her look in the second one. To match the cartoon version of her, wow. so that that uh-huh. says something about and there's just so much plot, and there's not like if you look at the plot of Ghostbusters, it's really kind of Thin. it's the least interesting part of that movie. The right. mo- the best parts are Bill Murray and you know just antics, and there are no antics in Ghostbusters too. It's yeah, you're right. That's a good description. It's just a straight line. And his his yeah. ad his ad libbed lines in Ghostbusters two are just not funny. But do you think he really wanted to be there? <laughs> like, I'm I want to do Razor's check. Edge two. I'll do the <laughs> Ghostbusters two. <laughs> do Razor's Edge two. Um, Steve, what is your opinion of Ghostbusters two? You know, I'll watch it if it's on. Like, if if it's if it's one of the scenes with Vigo in it. Because I kind of I kind of like oh command me Lord I mean I sort of I sort of really get a giggle out of that but I can't believe that's I just Peter, hit a giggle. That's Peter McNichols' yeah. character. I love Peter McNichols. I love the 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 villain Vigo, and um, when they're on the screen, it's somewhat funny, or at least it's interesting or it's engaging. But any other like time the in the line, movie, it's I just like the line tomorrow. By tomorrow, the city will be mine and Vigo's. 
mostly Vigos. He's the only good character in the uh, in the movie. Bill Bill Murray couldn't be less funny than he is in Ghostbusters too. Yeah, I mean, it just it just it just burnt. It comes up completely flat. It's a bad movie. You mentioned the cartoon though. Did you guys watch the cartoon in the eighties? I never saw it. No, no, I was too old for that by then. I my sister was four years younger than me, and so if I were if I was home, I bet she's still four years younger than she still is. If I was home for the weekend, she was always watching Ghostbusters the cartoon. So I've maybe seen a dozen episodes of it, and it's nice. I mean, it lasted for almost six years. Yeah, and it's the same characters. Every one of them voiced by by not the actor that was in the movie, although Ernie Hudson was invited to audition, but he lost out to Arsenio Hall. Yeah, <laughs> he, he didn't sound enough like himself. Yeah, that's that's a tough one, boy. Sorry, we need a little more Winston Zeddemore in that, Mr. Hudson. Yeah. Nice one, Egon. I think you took out most of Bayonne with that one. Would you like to try for the Bronx this time? Hey, I was born in the Bronx. I'd say that was a good enough reason, wouldn't you? Ouch! But yeah, I'm, I'm still amazed that, like, I guess the magazine IGN named, it was called The Real Ghostbusters, which is an odd name for a cartoon. It's a cartoon, and you're going to call it The Real Ghostbusters. Wasn't there originally some some shenanigans around the name like there was a movie or something called Ghostbusters and they had to get rights to the title yeah we think it was a TV show it, uh, yeah. it was like it was around the time of the Sid and Marty Croft I don't think it was uh, yeah. them but it was a TV show yeah but in any case it was named the 20 se- 22nd best cartoon uh, of all time which is kind of bizarre to me that's insane it's better that's- than any cartoon that came out in the 1800s that's for sure <laughs> yeah. but you know what it's not better than the the uh, it's time for the magical notes of is it magical notes or is it mystical refrain? What is <laughs> sure, it? Why not? You can start you can say whatever you want. You're Steve Spears. I think it's the magical verse. No. The, um, the hmm. tuneful noodlings. <laughs> I think it's the harmonious melody. Uh, reader mailbag. Reader mailbag. Anyway, uh, we have one timely note this week from uh, Todd the Toad in H-Town. But give it a go, Brad. Okay, this is a long one, so, so buckle up. <clears throat> Todd writes, I grew up in this awesome neighborhood right off the Chesapeake River, surrounded by woods. One of my friends mowed lawns and would often ask me to help. There was one house that I always loved to help with. It had this older-looking cop car parked in the grass. The dang thing never moved, and we would have to mow around it. The great part of this mowing job was that the homeowner's daughter and her husband were often there. But this couple was awesome. They would just sit outside and chat with us for as long as we wanted to talk. They were like adult friends to us kids. I'm assuming that's in the non-creepy way. Uh, now, keep in mind, when we started this mowing job, we were 10. So the fact that she was a drop-dead hottie wasn't yet a factor. One day, we're coming home from school on the bus, and we see the gray Mercedes in the driveway of this house we mow, which meant the fun couple was in town. So we went to say hi. As we're chatting with the husband, he said, hey, let me give you guys some stuff. We, of course, we said, okay. And he comes back with a box full of Ghostbusters merchandise, wallets, wristbands, etc., all kinds of stuff. I think my friend asked where he got all this stuff, and he replied, oh, they gave it to me. I looked at the merchant. I looked at him, and I probably repeated this ten times before I figured it all out that my adult friend with the gray Mercedes and the nicest wife in the world later to be my neighborhood crush, was none other than Dan Aykroyd and Donna Dixon. Jeez. That's awesome. <laughs> Isn't that great? I remember I went home and I told my dad, Dad, Dan Aykroyd's family lives down the street from us. My dad said, who's that? I, I mostly likely explained with a girlish frenzy of excitement. My dad had no idea who Dan Aykroyd was, but then proceeded to ask me if I meant Dan, the guy from out of town who he jogs with whenever he and his wife are visiting. What the fuck? Turns out my dad and Dan ran together. I figured Dan enjoyed it because my dad had no freaking clue who he was and didn't care even after I told him. Anyway, that black cop-like car that would never move for us to mow around was one of the Blues Brothers cars. It was a gift from Dan to Donna's dad. That is fantastic. I know. Forever a Stuck in the 80s fan, Todd the Toad from H-Town. God, can you imagine? Isn't that awesome? That is fantastic. Jeez. Unbelievable. You might also remember from our last episode that uh, we had a reader who emailed us who needed a nickname really badly, uh, Robert Stroh. And some of you guys came through. 
So here are the nicknames you all suggested for Rob Stro. You ready? Uh, Carol Jansen suggests Rob the Stroke Stro. Eric in Alpharetta says Rob Stroman Stroman Stro. Stro. <laughs> Did my voice break just there? Yeah. That's bad. Puberty is a tough time <laughs> for us all, Steve. Yeah, I'm going so through when that, some... <laughs> when that testicle descended, so did your voice. Oh, my God. We're going, going through, through some, some changes. changes. <laughs> John in San Diego said, Rob Stroker Ace Stro. And uh, PJ Vericia. How do we just say we're going to say this? PJ Vericia? Verecchia. Verecchia. Okay. Says, uh, Rob Stro's Light Stro or Rob Strobelite Stro. After the classic B-52 song. Yeah. And Curtin Dirty Jersey says, Robert Maestro. Not bad. I would go with uh, Robert 30-pack Stro. Oh. Because during the 80s, the Stros, they had a 30-pack that made it a more appealing choice to a college kid. Volume, volume, volume. Oh, yeah. Than a a regular 24-pack. Case. You guys drank Stroh's back then? If it came in a 30-pack, hell yeah. We were very value conscious. I don't know that I've <laughs> ever had a Stroh's. Well, just think of your favorite light American lager, and you're right there. Uh, we drank... What we used to drink was the suitcase of uh, Bush. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That I was definitely... Lucky Lager was big in the 11-ounce bottles. I think you get a, a suitcase of Bush was like... A good price would be seven ninety nine. Yeah. Okay, and we're back. Sorry, I had to lift my cat. <laughs> my cat had to go. Back. Ready? Okay. Hang on. Brief pause to enjoy an adult Sorry. beverage. Sorry. Remember, you can always send your emails to us. The email address is sit80s at gmail.com. Brad in the 80s at gmail.com. And is it Spears or Steve in the 80s? Oh, dear God. It's I don't Steve know. in the 80s at gmail.com. <laughs> why you just, moron. Why don't you just stick with one? Just have one email address, and then nobody's confused. Well, some this people want to tell secrets that they don't trust Steve with. You know, yeah, that's Steve. Is, Steve, you know, he's a he's a gossip. Fair that's enough. true. That is true. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for a mystery movie moment. Hey, we play a clip from a movie from the eighties, and if you can get it right, um, I think I said I was going to send away a book, didn't I? Yeah, I sent a book. I sent a book. I sent a book. Um, anyway, pay attention. Here's a clip from our last show. I love you. Oh, yeah, I noticed. Yeah, that's Against All Odds, which only three of you got, even though I gave you the five movies I was going to choose from. Half of you said uh, Oxford Blues. Wrong. Some of you actually thought it was Hot Dog the Movie. Wrong. The sound of Jeff Bridges in a sports car should have been enough to say that it's Against All Odds. But anyway... Name the three people who came to the rescue. Okay. We got number one, Andrew Domino. Number two, Chris from South Lyon. And number three, Tom Gedda in Austria. Excellent. Pay attention. Here's our clip for this show. Could I have a blanket and a pillow, please? Sure. Knowing our feature film. Your five minutes are Susan. If you know it, email us at sitas at gmail.com and no other address. Thanks, Marty. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, thanks for cutting me out there, Marty. Now yeah. I don't get to participate. Yeah, you're welcome, '80s Nation. And tune in next week to find out if you're a wiener. <laughs> ah, the mystical tune that is. God sakes! I swear to God, I can't remember what it is anymore. The mystical refrain, right? Sure. The familiar <laughs> arpeggio. <laughs> is that even a word? Is that correct? Yes, yeah, that's a, that's a, a thing. thing. I don't know if it's appropriate in this case. Anyway, it's time to play Name That 80s Tune. Uh, as usual, we will play a snippet of a song from the 80s, um, if you can get it right. Um, I decided that this week, I swear... You'd make it super easy? No, never again. What I'm going to do is, I think I have two sets of Ghostbusters. and Because I, I bought another one today because I wasn't sure I couldn't find it. But if I can find the other set of my Ghostbusters DVDs, which I'm pretty sure I never even opened... I'll uh, I'll send those to a designated winner. So there because no stuck in the '80s listener <laughs> is missing Ghostbusters. So, somebody somebody needs it. Somebody needs it. Okay. Fair okay. Enough. Pay attention. Here's the clip from our last show. You might as well have played the chorus, Steve. Okay, it's our lips are sealed by the Go Go's.
actually thought it might have been the Fun Boy 3 version. Why would I do that? Why would I do that? Because you hate fun. I don't hate fun. I hate the Go-Go's nowadays, though. Have I told you guys this story yet? Brad knows. Wait, I've heard some rumblings. We're the fun boy three. <laughs> All right. Never mind. Can you hear Go them? On. They're talking about us. T- <laughs> the Go-Go's totally stood me up last week. What? I, I had an interview scheduled for... Uh, don't they know who you are? <laughs> apparently, apparently they do. Maybe they why. do, yeah. Uh, I had an interview set with Gina Shock, the drummer, and it was for last Friday at eight o'clock. And so I come home, I'm getting ready. I stayed sober all the way to eight o'clock. You know, major, you know, major concessions to the crowd. Exactly. Wow. And so I've got all these questions written down. I've already had to rewrite them once because originally I was supposed to get Jane, the bass player, and then they switched it at the last minute. So I rewrote them all for Gina. And I'm sitting here. I got my headphones on. My Skype is turned on. All, all I'm doing is waiting for the, the, the Skype to start ringing at eight o'clock. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Eight ten. The PR person calls me and says, "Well, you know, she had a, ch- a change of flights, and so we're gonna have to reschedule. And it'll be Monday, but I'll let you know either later tonight or tomorrow morning." Never heard another word from them. The uh, PR person for the Ruth Eckert Hall, who was trying to help me out, she called, she emailed, everyone was trying to get them to like, "Hey, you know, make good on your promise, or at least return our phone calls." Nope, just radio silence. Did you drop an f bomb in front of Gina Shock? Is that what happened? <laughs> Maybe I'd like. I, I will now. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so they uh, played. Uh, they played last night in Clearwater at, um, at my old favorite digs, Ruth Eckert Hall, and along with Naked Eyes and Scandal and the Motels. And I had a chance. I could have gone back. I had two free tickets in my name if I wanted them, but I was just like, no way am I going there. I would. Just, I'm just so pissed off. You got to take a stand. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be in my room writing that hit song alone in my principles, <laughs> which I pretty much was. I I did nothing, nothing this weekend. Fourth of July weekend, I did nothing, no thing. I sat around here alone with my, in my principles. Yeah. That's that's the name of the, the the Steven Spears story. Yeah, trust me, alone with my hygienically challenged cat, and that's about it. So anyway, uh, now that rant is over, Brad, read the winners. Okay, we we have a lot of winners, and if we don't read it, it's because we used all of our time on the reader mailbag story, so don't feel bad. Winners this week include Stephen Crosby, Anders in Sweden, Lou, Sweet Lou, Grilly, Carol Jansen, Kevin Eleven in Oldsmar, Florida, Oswaldo Jimenez, Chris Joy, Jeff in Chester, Peter in Montreal, Pinhead, Gabriel Daigle, Christine in Philly, Kurt in Dirty Jersey, Jewel, no, not that Jewel, just Jewel, Colin in Spokane, Chris from South Lyon, and Tim in Harrisburg, PA. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it, email us at the one and only email address we have left, sit80s at gmail.com, and tune in next week to find out if you are a wiener. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Something is a harvest of nerves. You got it? It was the worst job interview in recorded history. What a gargoyle. Oh, but wait a... They said they'd call me this afternoon. Oh, here, have something to eat. Oh, I couldn't. My stomach's in knots. Come on, it's Campbell's cream and mushroom soup. You can always eat soup. Did you know that one of the most digestible ways you can get your nourishment is delicious Campbell's soup? Mm. See, now you look like you can handle it. You know something? I do feel better. Soup is good food. left so how about a ghostbusters quiz i love it you guys ready i'm in i test well give the people a minute at home a chance to play along before you spit out the answers okay 
Here we go. Five questions. What theoretically should happen if the Ghostbusters cross the streams of their proton packs? Ooh, 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 ooh. Go ahead. Complete protonic reversal, Steve. Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. Right, that's bad. Okay. All right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. Yeah, you were correct. Wow. Yeah, it's bad. I'm fuzzy on the whole good bad thing. What do you mean bad? You know they don't even say they don't even call them proton packs in the first movie. They don't no, not till the them. second one. Yeah, didn't Brad? Didn't your boy go dressed up as a Ghostbuster a few yeah, years ago? Yeah, he actually. Yeah, he uh, two years ago, and I think he reused the costume this year. Um, I bought him like a flight suit and got like the name tag and the Ghostbusters logo someplace. I think on eBay, and he built a proton pack out of cardboard that looks pretty good. You know, that's fantastic. He did a nice job, and I'll put a post. I'll put a picture up, and we got him some welding goggles. So he had some goggles on the top of his head, and it, it looked good. I, you know, every every year, you know, Halloween rolls around. It kind of sneaks up on me, and I I never think of a good card, a uh, good costume until the last minute. And and of course, the key is always planning ahead. And so maybe I should start planning now, in case I get invited to a Halloween party. Because I mean, people are going to expect me to show up in an '80s costume, right? Yeah, yeah. So what what would be a good '80s costume to start working on now for? Well, let's see. Uh, you could go as uh, Marty McFly. All you need is a life preserver. Yeah, it's Florida, and, Florida though. Very warm. <laughs> I know. And, well, you can just wear Calvin Klein's. Oh. Nobody wants to see that. Purple ones. It'd be like Chris Farley in that uh, Saturday Night Live sketch. <laughs> I thought about Danny Noonan from Caddyshack wearing like, the, the country club t-shirt and carrying a bag of uh, golf clubs. You could go as Robert Downey Jr. on his way to protest the uh, pep rally and uh, back to school because oh. you believe that uh, violent ground acquisition games are actually a crypto-fascist metaphor for nuclear war. That's actually not bad. You could go as uh, Fletch in when he's uh, a Laker with the big afro oh, and the, yeah. the 99 uh, number three <laughs> jersey. That would be awesome. Oh, yeah, because going in blackface in, in uh, a photo is not a... No, he's not in blackface. He sure he's has a fro. Afro. Yeah. Let's take a look at the plate. He is actually 6'5 with the Afro 6'9. Pretty good dribbler. We still haven't done our Fletch show. There's so much to do. There's so much to talk about. Fletch would be a good one. awesome. Fletch would be a good yeah, one. Yeah, great. You'd have to get the t-shirt ahead of time because you'd want to – you have to get – has to have that worn look. Yeah, run it through the wash a few extra times. So, anyway, food for thought. If anyone else has an idea of something I can pull off for uh, – or any of us can pull off – for our 80s Halloween costume that we need to start working on now. Yeah, I usually us. go as a harried father. <laughs> you do it well. Yeah, well. Anyway, back. Very naturally. Okay, back to the quiz. Question number two. If someone asks if you're a god, what do you say? This question is beneath me, Steve. Marty. <laughs> Marty. I have no idea. I'm just thinking of... Uh, uh, Marty, uh, if someone uh, asks you if you're a god, you say yes. Ray, when someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. All right. This chick is toast. Oh, okay, yes. (laughs) Did I win? What do I win? Right now Uh, you're tied. Continued torture. Okay, question number three. Um, we all know that Lewis becomes possessed and becomes the Keymaster, but the Keymaster actually has a real name. What is it? This is a tough one. It is not. Um, Sh- Sherman? Vince Clortho. Yes. I am Vince. Vince Clortho, Keymaster of Gozer. Volga Sildrawar, Lord of the Sebulia. Are you the gatekeeper? Hey, he pulls the wagon. I make the deals. You want to ride? You Googled it. No, I didn't. I've really? seen this movie a million times. I love this movie. <laughs> okay, here we go. Question number four. <laughs> In Ghostbusters 2, as we all know from our reading, the villain was Vigo the Carpathian, but he's also known by several other nicknames. Can you name any of them? If I could, I would refuse. I cannot. Sherman? No, I, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember them talking about that, but I don't um, remember. The Blood Letter of the East. Also known as Vigo the Cruel, Vigo oh. the Torturer, Vigo the Despised, and Vigo the Unholy. Not Vigo the Breakdancer? No. Not Vigo the Butch, either, as uh, Bill Murray says. <laughs> Vigo the Flatulent? And question number five. 
if they. <laughs> You're just making this up. You're like, uh... no, no, no. Question number five: Will they actually get around to making Ghostbusters three? No. According to Ernie Hudson, uh, this past June, he said yes, they're going to start shooting in next year. That's yeah. Yeah, that's sure what I've are. heard. Yeah, well, but we th- also heard that William Pecker has no dick. Well, that's what I heard. Oh, poor William Atherton. I hear he got picked on after this movie. I'm yeah, they would, call him, they would call him dickless across the street, you know, just like just to hassle him. Jeez. But, that kind of sucks. You know, if, if it's not this movie, it's... it's uh, I was thinking about Real Genius. Real yeah. Genius, I mean... But nobody saw Real Genius. So. I saw Real Genius. Wasn't he in Die Hard too? also? I mean, Die Hard, the first one? Is he? Um, he's in the second one, for sure. Oh, the second one. with the He's the guy in the... the plane. Um, he's in the, in the plane. plane, yeah. yeah. So he's made a, a a fine career out of playing jerks. Yeah, we so should get him and William Zabka together. <laughs> so the question is, should they there be a remake? Well, is it a remake or is it just a, or a reboot? It's a reboot. Now nowadays they call it reboots. It, it can't be worse than Ghostbusters Two. I mean, Ghostbusters Two is a TV show stretched uh, thirty minutes sitcom stretched into an hour and a half. It could be worse. Come on, it could be worse. There's always room to be worse. Well, yeah, and and. Like, because I don't think Bill Murray would do it, and I think he's the reason why Ghostbusters is is great. And also, oh, and the other reason is Harold Ramis. He's uh, yeah. he's unavailable. unavailable. Unavailable, yes. He's, so, so let me ask a question about Bill Murray. What do we think about Bill Murray these days? Because I got to tell you, I'm getting a little tired of. Oh, look, Bill Murray, you know, jumped into my photo shoot for my engagement pictures, or Bill Murray interrupted my bachelor party, or like Bill, go, stop it. But I think it's people are thrilled. Like it's it's sort of like having you know going jogging with Dan Aykroyd. It's like Bill Murray came to our fraternity and did the dishes. That's yeah. That's if, it, awesome. if it didn't just show up as it just feels like naked PR. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I, o- I'm over I, it. No, I, I like it. I think um, if if there's a if there's a slightest chance that Bill Murray would show up at my engagement party, that's the only about the only way you'll ever get me to have an engagement party. I guess I'll be alone in my principles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, and I, I like what Bill Murray's up to these days. I think the movies that he makes are interesting. Um, yeah, he's got a new one coming out this fall called Saint Vincent. Sounds uh, great with Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, it's, it looks fantastic. Oh yeah, I can't argue with the, the the work he's doing looks good. But the I'm gonna I'm gonna drop into your party and I'm gonna I don't know just like fine just go be Bill Murray someplace else. <laughs> and these and these days he might actually be the great white buffalo of stuck in the eighties. I mean he's the one interview nowadays. I would really if I could get him on the show and he would sit there and like answer my questions about Caddyshack and Stripes and Ghostbusters for forty five minutes. That would be pretty amazing. Oh yeah, I don't think it would happen. But, no, I don't think. But I, that would be fantastic. But he's so unpredictable. And, and then, he and, might. And you might know, like, I would yeah, turn sure. on a dime. I would turn on a dime and be the toadyingest psychophant <laughs> you've ever seen. If he was yeah, like, oh, yeah. So you know. I mean, you guys saw Zombieland, right? Yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah, and he's so great. I mean, what, yeah. that's like the best cameo in, of any zombie movie. Yeah. Today on our Facebook page, we asked uh, our, our readers and fans to tell us what you think. Where does Ghostbusters rank in terms of 80s movies and and how do you think it's aged over the years? And here's some of their reactions. Uh, Kim from Pennsylvania said, Ghostbusters is my number one movie. Uh, from the 80s, the script, is, the script is great. Reitman handled the actors well. You can't beat the cast. Of course, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis wrote the script, but there was quite a lot of ad-libbing from everybody. Even the supporting cast was awesome. Hard to disagree with her there. Yeah. Douglas Arthur wrote, What struck me most about Ghostbusters was how seriously it played the horror bits, Slimer aside. They even got the great horror artist Bernie Wrightson to do character designs for the ghosts and demons. Still watchable and still a lot of fun. Uh, Roberto Rizzo... Rizzo? We're going to say Rizzo. Rizzo? Ghostbusters still tickles tickles the heart after 30 years of its release. I own the poster, the toys, the movies, the soundtrack. Indeed, a movie that stays in memory in a decade that still has me stuck in the 80s. That's nice. Speaking of the toys, I completely forgot about this. For Father's Day, my kids gave me a Lego Ghostbusters set. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's got the Ecto-1 and the little guys. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, that's cute. And Robert Jordan probably sums it up best by saying, a heart-ripping drama. I've never looked at a marshmallow <laughs> without a small tear forming in my eye. Aww. They destroyed three marshmallow costumes in making that last scene. Uh, yeah, none of them survived to how be they bit only on. destroyed three? 
Because they only had. <laughs> I three. guess they only had that many. They were twenty thousand dollars each to make. Three was plenty. Yeah. So this movie is so quotable. Are there quotes that you use in your everyday life from this? Mother puss bucket. Anytime I am anywhere and I get a bill, I say, I had no idea it would be so much. I won't pay. <laughs> and, and finally, Katie has gotten to the point where she doesn't roll her eyes at me when I say it. She just knows I'm going to do it. Marty, favorite line? Uh, every morning I wake up and I say, I got slimed. <laughs> Is that weird? You know, that's a medical condition, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, you have a lot of dogs, though, don't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and the other one I use a lot as, uh, as a consultant is no job is too big, no fee is too big. Yeah, I, I, Mother Puss Bucket to me is just like a catch-all. You say it, it works for everything. Yep. You can, you can substitute it in for an F-bomb. So. Yeah, maybe you'll get a second date. Oh, son of a bitch. You had to bring that up again, didn't you? <laughs> that really bugged me. That really seriously. I mean, when you, someone gives you a kid, thirty years later, I can if tell. I, yeah, if oh, if I never see you again, have a nice life. Well, it didn't work out so well, lady. Wherever you are today, probably home, you need a, like with your three kids. You need a, a sad violin cue for when the, these sort of stories come up. Uh, yeah, get my other puss bucket. And that's all you right now. <laughs> that's all we got. That's all we got for this week, Marty. As always, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's it's a great when we get to do uh, such an iconic and fun movie like this. Yeah. Soon we'll do Fletch. And then I'll start working on the Halloween costume. In the meantime, Brad and I, the Ectomobile, and Slimer, we remain here, hopelessly, stuck in the 80s. And it comes through your door, unless you just want some more. I think you better call. Stuck in the 80s is a class of 85 production. Please listen responsibly. Yeah, <laughs> 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 <laughs>